Hello there, this is Olivia from Ozone Podcast. This is Nadia from the Relativity Podcast, and you're listening to Discussing Who. Enjoy! The Discussing Network presents Discussing Who, a Doctor Who podcast. I am Kyle Jones, and I want to start welcoming back this week, Clarence Brown. Clarence, how are you? I'm doing well, man. Doing well, as always. Glad to be back with you guys to talk about some Doctor Who. Awesome. Well, as always, glad to have you back. And as always, Lee Shackelford, glad to have you back as well. How are you? Thank you very much. I'm... uh... I'm maintaining, man. Maintaining. The dude abides. Cool. Well, glad to hear you're maintaining. (laughs) Um, We have some news, I think. Let's just go ahead and get right into it. You have some news, and excuse me, my voice is losing it today. I'm losing it today. Kyle is losing it. Uh, When have I ever found it? Whoa. (laughs) You have news, and I don't know what it is. I'm curious. Your news, what is it? Well, as we record this, it's a famous birthday of famous Kyle Jones. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> Talk about some news. <laughs> yeah. Do, 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 do. Uh, and you're uh, 749? Uh, no, 750. There you go. Yeah. Well, life doesn't begin anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm right middle age at 750. So. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I really thought you had some news. <laughs> oh, I do. That's I got I got lots of news. Well, I, well, part of it is Well, I actually have something that you guys speaking of my birthday that you mm-hmm. guys probably may or may not believe that I have done. Mm-mm. I have gone on record as saying and this is not like big earth shattering or anything like that or that Kyle, you know, climbed a mountain or something like that. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> what I did do however is something that i customarily don't do and i've mentioned this several times on here lee you've even referenced that kyle doesn't do this but i went back today and watched the last episode of vera that i have not watched and i have watched the last episode of the current season of death in paradise that I have not watched. Again, these are continuing stories. Don't know when they'll come back on again. But I was like, you know what? There's no reason, and Lee, I um, give thanks to you for this. I was like, there's no reason to hold these and just have them out there in a box somewhere and never enjoy them. When can I enjoy them? I said, I'm going to watch them on my birthday. So I did. Oh, that's that's terrific. So Yeah, that, that, that seems like a very perfect way to, to mark that. I, I love it. Cool, cool. And it makes a brilliant segue to my other news. It's not my news. It's it's Doctor Who news. Well, tell us. Talk about concluding things. Kyle and I, particularly uh, on this show, have mentioned many times that we are dissatisfied with some aspect of the classic series and the fact that we have a new Doctor Who series now. And they're not addressing this unfinished business of the original series the the first time we parted with a companion was of all things the doctor's granddaughter and in that at the end of that episode uh, of invasion of the daleks he leaves her behind on the earth an earth that has been taken over by the daleks in our future and he tells her he's going to come back during all the years i've been taking care of you 
You and the town have been taking care of me. Grandfather, I belong with you. Not any longer, Susan. You're still my grandchild, and always will be. But now, you're a woman too. I want you to belong somewhere, to have roots of your own. With David, you'll be able to find those roots and live normally like any woman should do. Believe me, my dear, your future lies with David and not with a silly old buffer like me. One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. Goodbye, Susan. Goodbye, my dear. And it's a, it's a lovely scene, brilliant, brilliantly played. But yet, isn't that a big question mark that's been hanging in the air? And Carolyn Ford, the actress who played uh, Susan, um, is still around. And we've been saying we need an episode that ties this off. Uh, it's, it, it's probably never going to happen on the TV series proper. But Big Finish has produced an episode called After the Daleks, starring Carol Ann Ford. From Big Finish Productions. I cannot move. Assist. Contact lost with Dalek control. Assist. Doctor Who, The Early Adventures. After the Daleks. Her grandfather, Ian and Barbara had gone, leaving her behind on a ruined earth. The country is on its knees. People are starving, bewildered, drifting. He's not moving, he's already dead. Oh, without the Daleks, I thought this world would be a better place. Susan, come on! The capture of David Campbell and his friend Jenny Chaplin is of utmost priority. If you see these people, do not approach. They are enemies of the state and you must inform the authorities. Susan Foreman is an alien. And we know what the aliens who came here before did to our world, don't we? What are you doing? I demand she's taken away for execution. <laughs> you will obey me. Please. Now, how much do you want to live? Big finish. We love stories. And it will be released in August of this year. $12.99 in the U.S. for the digital download. And I have already pre-ordered my copy because the promise is it's going to pick up with Susan after the doctor leaves, leaves her there. And so he, even if he doesn't fulfill his promise to come back for her, we'll at least at last find out what happened to her. Mm. And I, for one, am super excited. Interesting. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of speechless because I want to know that the doctor comes back and i'm wondering would they do that and if so which version or which will doctor? they leave it yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. well and the question that has never really been answered about susan is that a nickname that she has for him grandfather because he doesn't call her granddaughter he calls her susan which is which is all right 
and they're both on the run, they say. So we, we have always assumed that she is from Gallifrey as he is and that they left together. Is she a time lady? Mm, what if she regenerates and we see her again in some uh-huh. other I, I would love that. Yeah. See, we know. Okay, so remember, we have the gentleman. I have to remind, I'm reminding myself here. We have the gentleman who is in Canada who has never watched it, so I can't say too much. But I do believe she is from Gallifrey proper mm-hmm. because of things. We will see. Yep. But <laughs> maybe. Spoilers. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I'm just making this up. But uh, I choose to say that she is from Gallifrey. I would love for her to regenerate. I actually have a perfect actress who could regenerate into a younger Susan if they wanted to do that. And it's the same actress since let's keep precedent going and mm. say the actress who played Susan in the um, movie. Oh, in Adventure in Space, Space and Time. time yeah. Who is mm-hmm. also a big Finnish uh, actor now because of the continuing first Doctor stories with David Bradley and the cast from Adventure in Space and Time. Right. Mm. So she's already been playing Susan. Yeah. How interesting. So so crazy idea. What if she regenerates and somehow has lost her memory and she's somebody we've already been with? Right. I think that yeah. would be I, crazy. I think that has been speculated, you know, several times. A, a lot of people thought perhaps the, uh, the River Song was Susan. Um, mm. That kind of thing. So, yeah. Why not? Mm. You know, I think there was speculation with the impossible girl at mm-hmm. one point that Clara would yeah. actually maybe be some type of something that had happened to Susan. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so maybe this big finish adventure is going to address some of those possibilities. We don't know. But anyway, written by Roland Moore comes out in August, 2021 from bigfinish.com. I'm sure we'll be talking about it. I'm we will be talking sure about it. We'll be there. But you know what? If we're not talking about it today, one day we will talk about it. <laughs> anyway, so that, that wasn't that good. But only hey, it's because it's your birthday, Cal. That's yeah, only because it's my birthday. I knew that was going to set it off. I am yeah. not talking about the you-know-what today. Just saying. Well, you're at the age now where you might start losing it. So, you know, go right ahead. Yeah, mm, true. Good point. Oh, true. <laughs> but, oh, dear, I did remember to press the recorder button. <laughs> anyway. So, gentlemen, any other news before we move on into why, not why, why we are here tonight? You heard all of mine. Awesome. Mr. Brown, what about you? Uh, Not at all, but I'll throw out the call to action right here. If you want Hmm. to support the show, you can, of course, do that by subscribing. Hit us up on iTunes or wherever you're listening and leave us a review. You can also send in feedback to fans, um, excuse me, to discussingwho at gmail.com or hosts at discussingnetwork.com and hit us up at discussingwho on any and all social media outlets. All right. So before we move on, I actually have a question slash news. We'll continue and say this is news. Clarence, earlier today, you messaged asking us about Ollie Alexander. Curious, what posed that question? So rumors are floating around that he might be the next doctor, Doctor Who. Um, so uh, that 
of course, made me go and research a little bit about him. He's a British pop icon, pop star. That's about the limit of what I know about him. But he seems like a, a character that could very much pull off the doctor if you, you know, go hit him up on YouTube and, and search a few videos. But he's a very popular singer. So, yeah, there you go. Mm. I just pulled up. I mean, I had heard the name floated around and that was about it. I do see what you're saying. And he and based on some of the pictures, the at least in that way, he has his hair uh, colored at the moment. If this is not his true hair color, the doctor would finally be ginger. So hmm. he is older than Matt Smith was when he took over. He's <laughs> as of right now, 30 years old. And he and here's a little bit of trivia for you guys. He shares the same pre-Doctor Who being a songwriter or being a singer, musician, pop person with another Doctor Who alumni. Who might that person that he shares being a pop star with, who might that be? Well, I was going to say, you can't have a doctor or a companion who's been a big pop star. That's that's not a good enough credential, but no. <laughs> it did work for Billy Piper. Yes, yes indeed. <laughs> Ding, bingo. Cool, 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 cool. All right. So it's interesting, excellent segue, because Billy Piper's presence or pending presence as Rose Tyler would dramatically affect what we're about to talk about and the question of the hmm. day is for everyone who has not seen the scream of the Shalka, put us on pause, go out, watch this episode of webcast, come back because from this moment forward, spoilers. 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 Alrighty, the spoiler warning has gone out, and we are back to review The Scream of the Shalka. This was a series of webcasts released weekly in installments between the 13th of November and the 18th of December, 2003. It starred the voice talents of Richard E. Grant as the official at the time of that recording, Ninth <laughs> Doctor, Sophie mm -hmm. Akanido, I believe, I'm sorry if I mispronounced it, as Allison Cheney, and Sir Derek, and I'm going to say this wrong too, Jacoby, right? I, th I think he says Jacoby. Jacoby, yeah. okay. Yeah, Derek Jacoby. As yeah. the master. And yes. also an uncredited David Tennant as a caretaker. And mm -hmm. last but not least, it is written by a frequent Doctor Who novelist and comic book writer, Paul Carnell. So summary view, Clarence, I think I'll start with you. Summary view, what say ye? Man, very interesting story um, and very interesting circumstances here. I really enjoyed this. This, funny enough, this might be one of the most um, scary endings that I can think of or scary moments that I can think of in any Doctor Who um, when we get, and we'll talk about it, but this end of the world moment, which I felt for some reason in mm. this, it was realized more than anything I've seen in who, uh, and that very, very much was, was a surprise and welcomed. Uh, I enjoyed this interpretation of the doctor, you know, we'll get into all that, but, but overall I really enjoyed it. I love the companions. I, I thought the story was top notch and, and yeah, let's, let's, we'll get into it. 
I put off watching this for years because I had seen some of the art and I just said, yeah. And uh, so when I finally saw it, I was so pleasantly surprised and really I wish that the series had continued this way. Yeah. Um, still got major problems with the with the physical design of the Doctor <laughs> as presented here, but I love Richard A. Grant's performance here. And um, and of course, we're we're talking about this now because uh, at the place we are in the um, the canon proper, I guess uh, he's now the the face of the Great Intelligence. Yeah, he's uh, he's uh, one of the ultimate evils in the universe. Uh, so he's back into back into Doctor Who, but there was a time, <laughs> children, when he was the Doctor, and I I just think it's a very entertaining romp, and and it has a lot of the 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 aspects of classic Who, um, while exploring some new ground as well. So I I just I just love it. What about you? So I wanted to love it. I uh -oh. really wanted mm -hmm. to love uh -oh. it, and I'm no 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 no. <laughs> I'm afraid what happened was I'm afraid I found maybe the wrong online daily motion or whatever site I was on trying to watch it. Maybe I found the wrong thing, whatever the wrong thing may be. Oh. And I kind of felt disjointed in some of the transitions and from episode to episode so much so that I was going back and say, and looking and saying to myself, did I accidentally go to episode, say, four, whenever I stood up, should have been on three? And I don't, I don't know. It, it may have been the cuts that I was watching or whatever, but I felt disjointed overall. Hmm. That said, I liked the companion. I liked aspects. Lee, I'll agree with you totally with the visual of the Doctor, but I did feel feel as I was listening and watching that the BBC proper was in this metamorphosis mode of classic and this may be who going forward but how can we make it a little more up to date and I mm -hmm. felt like I was hearing this conversation in the background behind the scenes saying how can we make this fresh how can we make this different but keep it true to Doctor Who. Exactly. So that was my feeling. I, I think the watching of what I chose was my problem because there are things in this that really were spot on. And, you know, yeah. I give them much, much credit for that. So, yeah, uh, but just real quick, I, I will admit like some of the cuts were quick and I think that may have just been because this was a web thing. I, I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't think they did any lingering around to get to the next plot point. <laughs> they were. They were just going from this to this. To this. They were not, you know, wasting any time. And I agree. There were some points where they were cutting to the next thing without letting it set. Uh, but a little disjointing. I agree. But it didn't bother me too much. Well, see, where my disjoining, though, came from, and I agree with you, and you're a million percent right, that they did maximize the quote-unquote screen time that they had, but mine more so was at the end versus the very beginning of the next one, I felt a little disconnect between I'm ending this episode, but I'm picking up, and maybe the scene has changed or something, and I'm like, questioning am i in the right place in yes. the story 
Gotcha. Especially because they were deliberately imitating the style of classic Who, which would in which the serial episodes of a six-parter like this, every every episode would begin with a a recap with with the, the last minute or two of the previous episode. And in this case, they chose not to do that. So if you're expecting to be reminded of where we were last time, yeah. it's not going to happen. And and instead, we're in a different location doing something else. No, no, I agree with you. I, I and 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 I downloaded them from a source online, and I got them in the wrong order. So yeah, I had the same thing. I've got wait, what? Oh, oh, this is episode four. Okay, well that doesn't belong after number one, does it? Let's let's see if I can. All right, yeah. So let's go to the very beginning and mm. this intro, the graphics, the music, Lee. What did you think? What were your thoughts about this intro of the opening titles? The opening titles, yes. Yeah, it's it's it is uh, it is the third Doctor. You're sort of expecting to see John Pertwee's face there, but we see something else, and the, and his eyes glow. And by this time, we've already seen the 1996 movie, so we we saw the glowing eyes before, but it was the Master doing that. So interesting, interesting. <laughs> but uh, we did con- continue this idea of having the the Doctor's face appear in the titles. So a little bit of continuity from the classic series and, and, and acknowledging the TV movie too. So what, what are your thoughts about that? All right. Clarence, what about you? What do you think? Uh, on this intro, only thing I could think about is Podshock. Cause I don't, I don't know if they use the <laughs> same exact music for the background track. I think so. Yeah. With, with, you know, it's little, little upbeat drums sampling in mm-hmm. the pot shock version. But every yeah. time I listen to this on every episode, I was like, Oh, this is, <laughs> like and I'm sure that's just a, a classic, um, music that they're just bringing forward. But that's, that's pretty much all I could think of in that when I was playing. So. Well, I'll tell you, I picked up on something completely different, but even I didn't pick the pod shot thing up. And now I want to go back and listen to it. Lee, I did feel third doctorish, totally mm-hmm. like you did. What I also, however, noticed was I picked up something that they use starting with series five, which is the lightning that we saw from oh. series five all the way up to series seven. That is it, true. Yeah. What, you know, and I was like, oh, where have I say? Oh, series yeah. five. Lightning in the vortex. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So I thought that was really, really, really cool. So Clarence, I want to ask you about this version, this alternate ninth doctor. Thoughts about him as a character? Ironically, it reminds me a lot of the ninth doctor Eccleston. um and it may be in the dia- the dialect or accent um i don't know mm. if they're from the same part of the uk or not but to me they sound very similar i th- think that i like you guys i didn't love the the way he was drawn i think you said this a couple weeks ago he looked more dracula than anything but I think it was due to the overall anime style or aesthetic that they were trying to apply it to this. So I didn't really, it, it didn't really bother me too much. But yeah, I, I did very much like this doctor. I wanted to see him in live action. I'm like, how can mm. we work this guy in? Because uh, uh, Richard Grant, because I actually love him as the doctor. Again, just very much reminds me of of the ninth. He, he kind of it, it 
I love the way he went in to investigate. You know, we get to see him by himself at the very beginning. So I love the way he just kind of barged into town and, and you know, investigates things and, and makes friends in maybe the most awkward way possible. <laughs> but but yeah, I, I I thought he was excellent. And the pairing we got with the other person in the TARDIS, I thought made it uh, even more interesting. I'm the same way. I don't like the way the character is drawn, but I love this, the way he scripted. And I love Richard E. Grant's vocal performance of it. I would disagree about the accent, though. I think that um, Eccleston's doctor was um, part of the fun of him is that he's got kind of a working class accent. He's uh, uh, Rose calls him out about it. You know, yeah. you're, you're from you're from an ancient race and you're a time lord. Why do you sound like you're from a north? <laughs> and he says, "Everybody's got a north." <laughs> yeah, lots of planets have a north. Yeah, but Grant sounds posh, and in fact, hmm. a lot of his references are sort of. Yeah, I think he sounds very. Uh, uh, very central London, very um, yeah. he's been to good schools kind of. I wonder what um, it is there. Hmm. Yeah, well, it, it's it's that kind of in your faceness though that I think he 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 shares that with Eggleston. That sort of uh, well, I'm here. Yeah, you're scared. Yeah, but not as scared as they are. Okay, <laughs> what's going on? But, you know. So yeah, whatever the accent, it's still that that manner that uh, yeah. Everybody, pay attention to me. <laughs> And complaining about something like there's no Paco Bell on this jukebox, which is ridiculous. <laughs> there's no, I don't know. maybe uh, yeah, maybe maybe Cassandra's jukebox has Paco Bell on it, but not <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so I don't know. It's, it's things like that, but I I I think he's very interesting. I love the fact that he seems to want to reference a lot of things about Earth history. That's kind of a third Doctor joke. That he's he spent a lot of time on Earth, and so he knows everybody from our history. Um, he he, yep. he mentions very casually at one point that Andy Warhol wanted to paint all nine of them. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. that was great. Um, <laughs> does that mean that Warhol has brought this up to each iteration of the Doctor as they come through, or <laughs> or that you know we will never know? Um, but um, but things like that. But it's also very interesting that Paul Cornell's idea here is that. A lot of time has passed since we saw him last, and some important things have happened that we that are outside of our story. He's traveling alone because of something that happened, mm-hmm. and we are not told what it was. And not to jump too far ahead in the story, but he's traveling with, apparently, the Master, who is a prisoner in the TARDIS. Yeah. And then we find out that's not the Master at all. <sighs> Okay. Or is it? Is it? Oh, see, I didn't even consider. So, 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 me, yeah. So, there's so all that. I, and can I add? Can I add to the tapestry there, Lee? Yeah, there's definitely more. All right. Yeah. No, about the master. May I? Add? Okay. Yes. Right. I read up on this, and apparently there were some of the novelizations with the Eighth Doctor that, at some point, spoilers. And, well, I guess it's not a spoiler because the Eighth mm. Doctor happened in the past and future <laughs> right. and et cetera and so forth. So, spoilers. But the Master had become a disembodied intelligence, no pun right. intended, yeah. and had been trapped inside the TARDIS, which kind of makes sense mm-hmm. considering what happened in the 96 movie. Right. You know, I could see that. So, it would make second sense, maybe, if somehow the consciousness got downloaded into a master robot. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Possibly. And, and even considering what happens to him during the tenant years, the body is gone again, right? If I remember right. correctly. So That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Or maybe in some type of wibbly wobbliness, the consciousness gets downloaded into a new form that's a little baby, but he's using that same voice that then grows up to be a professor of some type. Yeah. Professor yeah. Donna. What a and great Easter egg. <laughs> yes. well, that's it. It's 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 like um well like the, the lightning bolts in the opening titles. You you wonder how much of an impact on the new series Scream of the Shaka has had that I I, I think of it as being sort of a footnote in Doctor Who canon, but I think folks at the BBC have, have taken it a lot more seriously, that they keep reaching back to it, that this idea of Derek Jacobi being the master was irresistible. You know, yeah. let's let's do it again. And, and even things like, yeah, the lightning bolts, and there are, there are other things that will come up here. But, but here's the big thing, is that the, one of the first things that this doctor says when he steps out of the TARDIS is, I don't want to be here. Right. Well, who's mm-hmm. in charge? And and as the episode goes along, as the serial goes along, he keeps saying, that's why I've been sent here. And I won't do their work for them. And, you know, this is that sounds like the fourth doctor talking again. Yeah. We, we thought we got away from this thing of the, the Time Lords sending him on missions. But something's happened. He's He's at their mercy again. Yeah, that definitely confused me because that was referenced several times. I was like, what? What's mm-hmm. going on? <sighs> Very yeah. interesting. So a lot has happened between, we guess, the TV movie and yeah. now. Uh, yeah. yeah. You, you mentioned how this kind of is, is referred to in some sense in later, you know, series. It kind of reminds me of, if you think of Star Wars, like the Legends like like Disney mm-hmm. said, the Legends, the, the Legends stuff don't doesn't count anymore, <laughs> you know. It's, it's there. You can check it out, but it doesn't count. But they reference it all the time going forward. So, um, yeah, that kind of reminds me. This kind of reminds me of that. Uh-huh. You know, I have often referred to the 12th Doctor as being, at least in the first times we see the 12th Doctor, not as his character progressed, but initial 8th series 12th Doctor as being a combo of three and six. But after Mm. seeing this one, this one is a lot more three and six to me than the 12th Doctor because some of the things that he did, some some of the coldness that he had was right up Six's alley. Yeah. Yeah, one of, to me, one of the most amazing moments of this story is when he tells um, uh, Major Kenneth uh, that he can't be bothered with all this stuff and that he's going back to the TARDIS and he's, he's through with it. And he is pompous and arrogant and it's just, it's just awful. He sounds like a snide coward and Kenneth completely puts him in his place. And he says, we'll be out there doing the work while you get to be superior and eccentric. Yes, I remember that. It's it's a great moment. And you just, you think, you know, this is sort of hero fiction here. Uh, our heroes don't say, I'm going to run away and let you people do all the work. Because I can't, you know, I'm too good for this. But he, but he does. And then our human character, <laughs> Major Kenneth, brings him right back. 
well, literally, right back down to Earth. And uh, the Doctor's back on board again after that. He has to get scolded by one of the characters, other characters in the story. It's it's really remarkable. <clears throat> yeah, it, it, it's kind of amazing because as, as much as I like him in this story, it accentuates what a contradiction of some of the, and he even mentions it directly. Yes. Um, you, you get to be two things at once. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you, you know what I find interesting from, from what you guys just said and the specifically the point that you just made, it seems like when the doctor is put in their place, him or him or herself's yeah. place, those are the moments that tend to be remembered and stand out hmm. and are monumental. And I'll reference another one that had a big impact for you, Clarence, was one of the moments that kind of jailed Sarah Jane for you was that the way she would just kind of call out the doctor, the fourth doctor, when we were doing Pyramids of Mars, yeah. of their interaction of her just calling him out. Yeah. And, and funny enough, what the way this doctor may be so far in that arena or have that attitude. So at the, the, the top of the way he's acting in this series might be due to the fact that he doesn't have a companion. Well, he has well, a companion, but you know, <laughs> not, not yet. No, not officially. The, no, at the beginning of the story. Yeah. He, he has apparently been traveling alone for some time. Well, I was counting the master, but <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, canonically, yeah, and then later on in the series, it will be reinforced. He ought not to do that. So yeah, so if, what? if his only companion is a is an android version of the master, yeah, he's off. He's <laughs> off. He's he's running off the rails, man. He needs to. <laughs> so, what did you guys think of this alt version? And and let me say this real quick: Stephen Moffat obviously really was a fan of this. Because of the elements that we see peppered along Stephen Moffat's tenure, mm -hmm. from the lightning, if he had anything to do with that, yeah. to um, I know he didn't have anything to do with, you know, uh, Professor Yana, but yeah. um, there's, you know, and there's another element in here. But what did you guys think of this master pairing with this version of the Doctor? Did it work? Did it not work? Did you like it? Thoughts? No, I think the tension of having a version of the Master inside the TARDIS is its one of the reasons I wanted this series to continue. It's like, what an audacious idea. That's incredibly dangerous. Oh, my God, that's so... Yeah. This is Russian roulette. You don't let the Master into your TARDIS. And yet, the Master is... Clearly a prisoner. He's really got him under control, I guess. <laughs> that would have been fascinating to see how that played out. Yeah. Clarence, it, what about you? What do you think? Well, the thing for me is that I'm never really sure if the master is clearly under his control, but I'm not sure if he's going to stab him in the back. Of course, mm -hmm. we have restrictions. He can't leave the TARDIS. But there's a couple of times he even states that he's, you know, waiting his buying his time. <laughs> yeah, actually. right. Yeah, which and, is exactly what you would expect him to do. Yes, yes. So that dynamic is so great, and you know, I just I just find it fascinating too that he's, you know, this android, and we get that jaw dropping moment at least for me when his face like flies yes. off. I'm like, <laughs> Love Whoa. that. Whoa. Love it. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I just like this concept of perhaps the doctor was trying in some way to rehabilitate the master. Yep, maybe. Yeah. You know, and, and I we, mean, we've seen that before and would, we'll see it again later. Yeah, I would love to see a storyline where the doctor takes the master and attempts to find the good in him. Oh, that that'll would, never happen. Never. I think that would be <laughs> awesome, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, regardless work. of what you can say about the master, the master is a lot of things. But I always, when thinking of the master, have to do one thing, and it's my birthday, and mm. that is thinking about the master. Have to be positive. I have to say say something, something nice. nice. Mm. Yes. Well, to, you know, to support your view that uh, Moffat is strongly influenced by um, Scream of the Shulk, I'm sure you caught that uh, Matilda's cat is Oswald. Mm. I did Interesting, I did not, but cool. Yeah. I mean, the cat could have been named anything, but that was interesting. I love Mm. that the ninth, this ninth doctor says, hey, he's apparently used up his nine lives. Rather like (laughs) me in that regard. (laughs) And in in, in a certain uh, episode in series eight, Clara is a little catty, so there you go. Um, yeah. So what did you guys think? Let's switch gears for a moment. Allison Chaney. Thoughts about her real quick. I love Allison Chaney. I just love her so much. And how cool is it that that actress will come back to be Liz 10? Yeah. the beast awesome. below. But, uh, and since we've seen her face, we know that they have very carefully modeled this, uh, this yes. drawing on her. That's her. Looks just like uh, her. And, um, she, w- one of the first things that happens when we meet her, and we're still getting to know her, is we see that everybody is cowering in the presence of the Shalka uh, to the point where they'll, they're trying to be quiet so they don't disturb the Shalka. And she, she leaves the bar to go out and face the Shalka and say, you know, you can knock it off. Everybody's behaving themselves. And, yeah. you know, she's got companion written all over her, doesn't she? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and, um, and you're wondering, you know, because she's tending bar, maybe she's not very well educated. Maybe she's not, you know. And then she lets slip to the doctor that she, uh, he says, I've forgotten what triggers this. But she says something about uh, the, the Catalan modernist architect, uh, Anthony Gaudi. And he gives yeah. her a look, you know. And she gave up studies in history to move in with Joe. Yeah. Mm, you know, so it's another one of those things where he's, his he's stunned by how courageous she is then he gets stunned by how how wide her view of the world is you know and 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 how loyal she is and you know yeah you're just thinking eh, companion yeah <laughs> it's it's just fantastic so what, right. what, what did you what did you all think about you yeah really? i mean clarence yeah, prime companion material mm-hmm. <laughs> so great it is um Everything Lee said, I agree with 100 percent. In addition to I wasn't sure about her relationship with Joe. You know, it. it, I think they even mentioned that they weren't that solid um, at some point. But um, I do love that kind of, you know, just inkling, just just a little smidgen of dynamic we get with them i thought i found that very interesting but she actually goes through a lot in this series yeah very quickly she goes through some major things she she gets captured almost dies gets something implanted into her <laughs> and is ultimately the the, the yeah. key 
to getting everything resolved. And I just like how she was, um, she, she was put right in the center and not only that, but she was able to overcome what probably would have drove many of us crazy. She was able to keep her composure and, you know, show that she was, that she's worthy to be a companion that she's getting through all this and, and winds up, you know, again, being instrumental in, in the resolution of this entire story. So I, I, I loved uh, Liz Tan at this. <laughs> yeah, me too. I yeah. thought she was awesome. And I love the tie in that you picked up on, which is she has the boyfriend that really isn't the boyfriend that she leaves the boyfriend to go with the doctor. Yeah, I just thought that was cool because that's right up series one, episode one, Rose and leaving yep. uh, Mickey behind. I mean, very, very, you know, parallel to that. Mm-hmm. Um, everything you guys said was 100% true. She was the typical, but, and I don't mean typical in a bad way, but she was the cookie cutter companion that is the perfect fit to balance out the doctor. And I think she was written well, and I'll go so far as to say she may have been written a little better than this version of The Doctor was. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I'd say that, but it is, she is certainly, the script certainly treats her with the respect that she, the character deserves. Well, let me say it this yeah. way. Let me, let me re- reframe what I said. I enjoyed this version of The Doctor as I was not looking at the screen, but listening to him. I, mm. That visual vampire doctor mm. kind of <laughs> broke it for me. Broke it made me remember and 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 sort of discount or made me disillusioned with the story because I knew this isn't really the doctor. Yeah, and you know, oh, this is so different. Mm. Yeah, when I saw how different he looked, well, and I think it didn't bother me as much because that was kind of the aesthetic of everything. It was kind of that that. Yeah, look and feel. So yeah, I eventually I, got I always call him. him. I, I always call him the Aeon Flux Doctor because because <laughs> that was about the same time. And yeah, he does. He yeah. looks like one of the characters from Aeon Flux. Yeah. 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 Oh man. Mm. Yeah, it was. It was a fashion. <laughs> but but well, I, 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 I did no, uh, just to pivot a little bit. Uh, the look of the interior of his TARDIS seemed like a mix between the movie TARDIS. Mm-hmm. And and we had this weird looking wraparound stairwell, which I thought was pretty interesting. That I, you know, I, I like to see that come back. That was pretty cool. Yeah. I do say, will say that I really miss in this version. I really miss the elevated uh, console because the to me in like new who that's kind of one of the things that makes it look really cool and interesting. Is like when we get the elevated uh, console. So I. Mm. I it, it was kind of bland, but still interesting at the same time with the stairwells. Oh, I, I just realized that spiral staircase in this TARDIS, that's the one that they extend. Apparently, you can just sort of lower it down the, through the floor of the TARDIS. That's the one that he lets down in uh, the snowmen. Ah, good, good one. <laughs> yeah, it's just good there ready for him to crank it down. I, mean, yeah. Yeah. It, it, I love that. You know, it, he keeps it in the swimming pool. Right. When not using it. <laughs> yeah. Wait, no, he has a hanger. Didn't he say the hanger in the Zeppelin? Yeah. The Zeppelin hanger, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Journey to the center of the TARDIS. You'll never know what you might find. No. So let's talk about the ones that we have not heard from mm. yet. 
which are the Shalka and their scream. Ooh, we've heard from them. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So screaming Shalka, Clarence, go first. Screaming Shalka, what well, did you think? Well, let, let me start with a question back to you guys. Are are they new to this story, or have they been used before? I'm not aware of them ever being mentioned before. Yeah. Neither neither have I. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. With that, I really like these enemies and hope they bring them back. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I was just. Uh, there was something about the way they chose to expand upon what the scream means that really was interesting to me. Is 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 and they even say it explicitly about this sonic internet or sonic service provider. If this is the mm-hmm. way they they transfer they transfer information, and initially we think it's just to you know annoy the hell out of people, <laughs> yeah. people to come in. which it does but, but it does but it's also used as a way to control people which i thought was very very interesting mm-hmm. and and you you take that and you even expand upon it on they're using it as a means to break down the ozone layer to terraform earth to their liking I thought all of that was pretty interesting for this, you know, six part animated uh, show. I thought yeah. that, that good stuff, good stuff. But o- overall, I thought they were a very interesting enemy. I want to see them come back. Uh, they sort of quasi had an idea of a queen, I guess, which I thought was interesting as well. And also, you know, and this this warp gate, which I'm just going to call a Stargate because Stargate was on around the time this came out, <laughs> was very interesting as well. So everything about them I thought was cool. Let's, let's bring them back, please. <laughs> All right. What did you think, Lee? <laughs> um, Clarence speaks for me. All of those things. And um, and it is fun. A great actress, uh, Diana Quick, is the... Um, is the prime, so she gets to be the voice, the uh, the sort of um, linguistic voice of the the Shalka. I am prime, she says. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, isn't that interesting that it's not just a, a a noise to shake things up, but it's it, it is their not only their language but their technology yeah. that sounds. So they can use it to what we find to manipulate space time. They can create uh, wormholes and black holes. Um, with the scream. And that, that's just, that's just kind of amazing. And I, I love this line. Once we've seen them and we've seen that the sort of, well, he calls it a scab, this skin that they've created, uh, to cover their interior, which is just lava, we guess. Um, they look like worms or, 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 or maggots or something. But then they open this, this hole in space and he says, ah, I like your wormhole. <laughs> <laughs> and that hangs there for a second. Then he says, "Oh dear, do you do you call it that?" <laughs> it's it's an almost naughty line, isn't it? Yes, oh, boy. <laughs> it's it's one of those you have to. Oh, oh, yeah. I like your wormhole. Oh, I'm sorry. No. Maybe that's not what you. <laughs> oh, but they are. They're they're fascinating, and um, yeah, and and. and by the time they're implanting a tiny shalka in people's heads, um, yeah, it it just feels like there's so much to learn about them that you just you just want to know more, but yeah. you also want them to go away and stop putting things in people's heads. So yeah, very interesting. That noise is a 
it's a mechanical noise we know, isn't it? It's it's some kind of a belt dragging against something. Is it's hmm. it, it, it seems to me like like I I had a car that used to make that noise. <laughs> it's something about belts. Anyway, I want to I, I want to find out how they how they made that noise. But my golly, if it's supposed to aggravate you, it does. That is a, the scream. The actual scream of the shaka is a infuriating noise. I was going to so, ask was was Wilhelm used in the making of this production? <laughs> <laughs> It's the endless Wilhelm. <laughs> well, you know, I will go another route. Mm. I really, really like the visual. And, you know, I'm yes. talking about how, you know, odd the visuals are to some degree. I thought the visual of them just worked for the production value, you know, and maybe not the production style, not value, production style that they were using. But I would love to see what computer-generated animation would mm. look if these were brought back in a future series. I think it would be a interesting, interesting to see a CI version, CGI, excuse me, of what these would look like. So I really, more than anything, liked how they looked. Yep. Yeah, and it, it's it's a reminder. That was part of the power of what they were doing here is that if you're going to do a series that's animated, then that opens Doctor Who up to, to, to visually represent things that we've never been able to, to do before. And I, yeah. I mean, imagine in the fourth or fifth Doctor's time, if we had written a scene where he is falling through a, <laughs> a, a limitless uh, a hole in space and trying to make a phone call while he's doing it. Um, you know, and I completely bought the way that's done in this sort of anime style. But I just sort of see that in on a BBC soundstage on a blue screen, you know, where he's got a, a hard blue line around him and he's doing this. And I just think, yeah, I don't buy this at all. <laughs> it was yeah. just, it just looks dumb. But um, yeah, but now we can do it. And, uh, and so, yeah, then they had the opportunity of deciding what did this, what did the, sh- what did the Shalka actually look like? And the answer is, they look like a whole bunch of different things. <laughs> and the, the queen looks like this, and then there's yeah. sort of these, and they're they've got hands, and the other ones don't, and they're just like snakes, and then these look like dragons, and they're yeah. Sometimes yeah. they become corporate beings. They'll all meld together, and they'll turn into this thing with tentacles. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Big transport thing. That thing was huge. <laughs> yeah. That 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 swallows up the, the doctor like a whale, like Jonah. So exactly. <laughs> Oh man, they don't hold back. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's great. They just go nuts with it. It's 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 wonderful. Yeah, and I think for me, like so, as far as visually and what they're able to do, I mentioned this up top, but the end of the world sequence. Yeah. Um, I for some reason that just resonated with me so well. It 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 it. it for it, it felt better. Maybe better is not the word, but it felt more real than anything I've seen in the live action versions. For some reason, mm-hmm. and we've had definitely mm-hmm. had our end of the world sequences in some of the live action episodes, but for some reason, the way it was realized in this just was like, wow, things are really bad. <laughs> so and that, yeah, that actually led to one of the few things about this script that really bugged me, and that is that. As the world is, as the Shaka are coming very close to annihilating the human race, they mentioned that the ozone layer has been stripped away. Yeah. 
And about this time was when we were really starting to acknowledge the damage we'd done to the ozone layer, which a lot of which has it has been healed since then. Yeah, it's, it's like one of the few things that we've done environmentally for this planet that has actually um, had some some positive uh, result. But um, they said it's gone. Well, if it's gone, we're dead. Yeah. And there's no explanation in this story about how they got it back. Um, it, you, you don't just grow a new one. Yeah. So, yeah, at the end, you know, uh, Major Kenneth is like, well, we came very close, you know. <laughs> it's a greener, fresher England that we look out upon or whatever. I'm thinking, uh, no, you don't have an ozone layer. <laughs> it yeah. sits so in the script. I, I want to. So yeah, the, the, I, I wish that there had been at least a line of dialogue explaining. The doctor's just like, I believe in, I believe in humans. They can, they can fix it. <laughs> like, yes, oh, well, that's right. Yeah. Oh, really? We can make an ozone layer? Okay. <laughs> it's kind of dire. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so let me ask you guys this question. I am at the end of my notes. So my question is, do you guys have any other items that you wanted to bring up about this that you haven't mentioned yet? Yeah, I have a few. Um, I thought it was uh, very interesting and I was surprised. And we keep talking about conflicting or contradicting doctor or whatever, but he actually transports the soldiers in the TARDIS. I'm like, what? They're, they're barely out of there with guns and just start, you know, shooting and trying to corral the crowd. I'm like, what? <laughs> He's never done that before. I, wow. That was that really surprised me. And and also, um, I loved how we're brainwashing the humans. I thought it was interesting that even though I'm sure our vocal cords cannot reach to the heights of the <laughs> chakra, but they we they employed humans as part of their their transmitting of the data or in order to, to 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 kill the ozone layer. So it was interesting that they used the humans to scream as well. And I guess we do have to talk about the doctor and his swallowing the 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 mini chakra worm and his singing performance to where he goes all um anakin skywalker just like kills the that's right like what and as a musical theater fan i love the fact that he starts this all out by singing part of cabaret what good is sitting alone in your room and he swallows the shaka and then after (sighs) everything happens then he says come to the cabaret Yeah, vaporize all of them, including the little ones. Indeed. <laughs> like I said, this this doctor don't play. He does not play. <laughs> he is not kidding around. Doctor don't play. And this this seems like kind of um. I thought this is sort of strangely intimate if you think about it. That you know we're we're still in this this is area where we don't we don't kiss our companions. And of course, those days are gone. But (laughs) but a lot of people in the TV movie, you know, when uh, the doctor kissed uh, Amazing Grace, uh, a lot of people said, oh, it's not Doctor Who. He doesn't kiss his companions. That's wrong. But but he did. uh, The second doctor would kiss Vicky on the forehead. At least once I can think of it, and you know that's that's sort of that's sort of fatherly. That's paternal. I I like that. And. and so this doctor kisses Allison on the forehead in the same way. And uh, I thought that was nice. Uh, also, since that's where she had a baby shalka. <laughs> sort of like a, a, you know, mommy will kiss it and make it better. But oh, um, but at the same time, she's had this thing growing inside her head. And then he swallows it. That's 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 pretty. Yeah. That seems pretty intimate somehow. They're they're connected now. I, I don't know. But, but, uh, well, not only that, she swallows it back. That's right. And it, 
<laughs> After he's been swallowed by the Shaka. Yeah, you could not do this as a live action show on camera <laughs> at this time. It just, but I love oh, all that. Oh, can, can we talk about the, you mentioned it before, Lee, but the doctor's phone, cell phone, maybe the first time the doctor has a cell phone, but yes. he summons the TARDIS. Yes, he Doesn't does. that like break everything going forward if he can do that? And and, and if you, I, I hope you notice the close up of it that his little phone looks like the TARDIS, yes. which yes. is yes. cute. Yeah, so, I remember I had a cover for my phone that looked like similar to that, and I was like, "Oh, yeah, that's cool." <laughs> he's got one too. He's got one too. Yeah. Well, he and he forgot about it. You know, he's in this moment before he dies when he realizes that the phone, whose batteries have just run down, he's wait, you're you're part of the TARDIS. Yeah. Wow, is it? Hmm. Yeah, what became of that? I know what became of it. He lost it somewhere. The TARDIS got mad, and mm. that's why he has a phone that's an old school phone that doesn't ha- he doesn't think works anymore, mm. and it has this humongous cord on it. <laughs> right. Same thing. That was punishment for losing mm. his mobile but, TARDIS but, phone. But also, like, by extension... I was just, you know, relating it to, you know, when he taps into Rose's phone or any other companions. Doesn't mm. their phones become part of the TARDIS when he does that? Mm. I would, I don't mm. know, I would think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, according to, uh, and I'm thinking in something the 13th Doctor does, is she says she, re- or the Doctor says that they reprogram the phone. Mm. Yeah, we remember the, the ninth Doctor um, having to... Um, sort of jazz up uh, Rose's phone with the screwdriver so that it will be some, so that she can call her mother. Mm-hmm. Remember? Yeah. Even though her mother's in a different time and place. Um, Gives new meaning to the reach out and touch someone. <laughs> Sing it, cow. You're getting there you the go. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you the thing that I wanted to bring about this. And uh, if it's lengthy, I hope you'll just cut it out. But it's, um, but I, I had it. just discovered this and I just think it is the most interesting thing. Uh, they're in Lancashire, and um, there are holes in the ground. It's a, a, a pivotal part of the story that there's these things all underground and that there are all these places where you can go down and be with the Shaka and the Shaka come back up again. So there may be, I don't know, 4,000 holes in Lancashire. Um, is that a reference to the Beatles song, A Day in the Life, in which it is mentioned that there are 4,000 holes in Blackburn, Lancashire? Um the, the Beatles being who who they are, you know, in terms of popular culture, I I got to go with yes. That this is Paul yeah. Cornell having some fun with us. That this is a story in which we find out why there are 4,000 holes in <laughs> Lancashire. But I got curious about that. And so I got on the web to, um, to confirm the story. And as far as anybody knows, this is true, that, that Paul McCartney and John Lennon had sort of set each other the challenge of trying to write a song that was just based on things they read in the newspaper. And the song is, you know, um, a day in the life. I read the news today. Oh boy. Um, and one of the things that, uh, John had read about was that, uh, there are all these, this plague of potholes in uh, oh. the town of Blackburn in Lancashire. And the, the, a city council had gone out and counted them. Didn't say they were going to do anything about them, but they counted them. And they had reported that there were indeed 4,000 holes in Blackburn, Lancashire. There's a lot. Wow. Um, and, and at the time, and I, I know this just from the pop culture, and I think everybody in Britain knew this at the time, that um, the Royal Albert Hall was something that everybody knew. 
And they had known since the days of Victoria, of course, since, since the, the hall was built. Anybody who had been in there, and almost everybody in London had been in there at one time or another, if you wanted to try to express a, a amount of volume or something, if you wanted to say, then, and these young people have collected enough pennies to fill the Albert Hall, it was, it was a figure of speech. And everybody knew that. And the next line of the song is, now we know how many holes it takes to fill the Albert Hall, which is... <laughs> Which is a funny bit of sort of Lewis Carroll logic. Holes won't fill the uh, anyway. <laughs> but that was that was John Lennon's sense of humor, so it all makes sense, you know. Um, well, it, it, since I got interested in this and wanted to research it, I found that in in some renovations that they were doing to the Royal Albert Hall, they found this uh, whole room full of filing cabinets that nobody had opened for years. And it was full of correspondence, letters that had come and gone from the official staff of the Royal Albert Hall. And somebody found a letter written, it is dated May 29th, 1967, and it was written to the producer of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And I will read you the letter because it's so, I just think it's so fantastic. Uh, to Brian Epstein, Apple Corporation, number three, Savile Row, London, W1. Dear Mr. Epstein, Epstein. Thank you for sending us a copy of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. You are indeed correct that one line in particular toward the end of side B would indeed pique our interest, however, not for the reasons you may have initially assumed. In the lyric, which mentions the Albert Hall, the singer, we believe to be John Lennon, heavily implies several gross inaccuracies, which we consider to be misleading to the general public who may hear this song and potentially catastrophic to our reputation which one which has taken almost a century to achieve. We have listed the inaccuracies and the contentious matters below for reference. One, that there are 4,000 holes in the Royal Albert Hall of Arts and Sciences. Two, that the Royal Albert Hall of Arts and Sciences is in Blackburn, Lancashire. And three, that the singer would love to turn on the Royal Albert Hall of Arts and Sciences. <laughs> At this point, I don't know if they're kidding or not, but I think they're not. I That's think hilarious. they were serious about this. This wrong-headed assumption that there are 4,000 holes in our auditorium is particularly damaging as it is likely to deter concertgoers who do not wish to fall into a hole. I'm also wow. baffled as to where this figure has come from. Even if you count doorways in the Royal Albert Hall of Arts and Sciences as holes, that would still make only 32. Uh, he goes on to suggest alternate lyrics to the song. He wants them to re-record the song. Wow. Anyway, we trust that these proposed changes will meet with your approval and look forward to your assurance in this matter. A sincere apology would also not go amiss. Your wow. sincerely Ernest O'Follinger, Chief Executive, Royal Albert Hall of Arts and Sciences. Yes. Wow. Isn't that? Yeah. All you can say is wow. Well, this, this brings up a question for you guys. Like, did they? Well. I don't know if maybe we might have to research this, but were lyrics ever actually changed because people complained? Ooh, that is back a good in the question. Day? That is a good question. Because now it just sounds outlandish. I mean, there's this thing called the internet where people yeah. complain all the time. You go, no, we'll get the original version of this song. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I just, to me, if this is serious, and it really feels like it is. Yeah, it I mean, sounds this sounds serious. like somebody who has half listened to the lyric. I mean, the lyric doesn't say that the Albert Hall is in Lancashire. <laughs> 
And it doesn't say that the holes are anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I just think a hole when I hear, when I read this letter and I think, wow, now we, now we know how many holes are in the Albert Hall. <laughs> At least one. 4,001. Yeah. And, yep. and, and here's 4,001. It makes me wonder why people like the Beatles came along and revolutionized music because it sounds like people were so uptight. Well, yeah. yep. Yep. I mean, this is, I mean, I'm sorry. No, this I'm is not, exactly the kind of thing they were they were rebelling against. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, if you, <laughs> I, I I can't wrap my head around how you can take <laughs> the lyric that you that we've been talking about and make it literal that somebody <laughs> thinks that there's four thousand holes in in the upper hole. Yes. I mean. <laughs> It, you know, if, if the lyric was, uh, it's it's moldy and musty or something like that. Yeah, that's right. Then that would have been, you know, that would have been legitimate. take offense to that. Yeah. And I'm not saying to Albert Hall in any way for anyone listening to us. <laughs> You'll be getting a letter. No, that. Right. <laughs> you know, that is not what I'm meaning. But I'm saying if you if you want to take something that would be derogatory to something <laughs> that people are proud of, yes. as they rightfully should be, I just can't. Four thousand. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's incredible, and it makes me think of the moment in uh, a hard day's night where the the, the Beatles are, are are in a, a railroad compartment with this this kind of stuffy conservative guy who says, you know, I take this train twice a week, so I suppose I have some rights to you know whether we have the door, the window open or closed. And he says at one point to a uh, to John, he says, "I fought the war for your kind." And John says, "I bet you're sorry you won." Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, they. They knew there, 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 there are people in the world who are going to be like this. Anyway, change of subject. So is Allison Cheney our official first non-white companion? Mm. Or does Chang Lee count, even though he didn't really go far? He would be the master's first companion. Well, that's true. Yeah, he wasn't. Um, he, had, he had made the wrong choice. Yeah. So even though we don't, we're not privy to the doctor's adventures with Allison Cheney, and I hope there were many. I think she's still our first non-white companion. Yeah, I agree 100% on that. Yeah, I agree too. And, you know, I just think that that is interesting because this has given me a much better appreciation because I will tell you, I'll be honest with you, I watched four out of the six episodes because, like I said, the cutting I just didn't get. I watched uh, first, second, third, and sixth. Yeah. So you guys have given me a much better appreciation for the story than than what i had going in and i love 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 the tapestry and i'm now because someone has given me a supercut going to go back and <laughs> watch the yeah. whole kit and caboodle it's, it makes again. a lot more sense as <laughs> as a yes. movie yeah so gentlemen i personally don't have any favorite saying favorite quote but I'm curious if the two of you do. And Clarence, I'll start with you. Favorite scene and favorite quote, if you have them. Yeah, my, my favorite moment is the revelation that the master was an android. Mm. or is yeah, I thought that was just killer <laughs> and left my jaw on the freaking floor. Whoa! <laughs> so that was great. And also a quote from Major Kenneth. I hate to say it, Doctor, but we have to bomb these people. <laughs> or, or at least the ones with a shocker in their heads. What? <laughs> yes. Did he just say that? That's what he said. 
<laughs> so just Ooh. bomb everybody is what you're saying. Wow. <laughs> now, he's not Brigadier mm. Lethbridge Stewart, but he's he's mighty close. <laughs> oh, and I did yeah. like uh, when they show one of the first times that they show the military guy that I think this guy you guys are talking yeah. about, and they shut this file and it has unit logo on it. Yes. That was cool. And it's a, it's a big dog-eared file with pages sticking halfway out of it. And he says, yeah, I read your file. Very interesting. <laughs> Something of an understatement. Well, I, I love that scene, too. Just that, that instant of seeing that the Master is an android. It's just, it is it is a jaw-dropping moment. It's just a wonderful idea. But yeah. as a scene, I love the whole business of the Doctor falling to, he is certain, his death. But trying to leave a message on Major Kenneth's phone all the way down and then remembering that his mobile phone is actually part of the TARDIS. And that's, that's what saves him. So cool. It's such a fun thing. So favorite quote for me is I'm just popping out to do something eccentric. (laughs) I think I'm going to start saying that. Oh man. You know, I'm going to go back on what I said and Mm. say that I actually like the scene where the doctor walked in. It's just in the first episode where the doctor walks into the bar for the first time. I know that sounds like a joke. The doctor (laughs) walks into into a a bar. bar. But I just liked the mood that it set. You know, it was very dark, very moody. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was a departure going if we were looking at it going even from the 96 movie it i like the moodiness of it because that's not something we had seen in doctor who yet so i actually have that Hmm. as one of my notes was the moodiness of episode one so i i'll take that as my favorite scene um so there you go the final rating yeah yeah, go ahead let let me get just one more quote real quick and this (laughs) is on the contradiction part of the doctor um, when, when Allison, um, tells him, you know, you, 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 I can't understand. I can't figure you out. <laughs> and and he's like, I feel the same way. I don't like the military, but I have so many friends in it. I say, I do not kill, but, I, but then I exterminate thousands. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's mm. one of the most insightful remarks about the doctor that we've had since 1963. It's, it's mm. just fantastic. So absolutely earlier conversation where somebody asks him, what are you? And he says, mildly annoyed. (laughs) (laughs) That's another goodie. I want Richard E. Grant doctor. (laughs) Yes. I want it. (laughs) All right. So gentlemen, final rating and Clarence, I think I'll still start with you. Clarence, final rating. What say you? Man, I'm going to give it a Four point nine, and my reason being is that I've seen a bunch of the animated episodes mm. that were either lost. We have part of them, and you know, for me, those never. And I mentioned this before; those never really worked for me because it it would work as a live action episode, but the when it's animated to try to match that the beats don't actually feel as natural if it's like done as a voice performance for animation mm-hmm. and that's kind of i think maybe why i love this one so much in addition to being a great story but i felt like when it was intentionally done as an animation it, it just felt like it all flowed better for me and it's probably one of my favorite animated doctor who things i've seen so yeah. for that reason i gotta give it a 4.9 yeah, we had talked about that kind of off mic uh, last week, and I think that's a great point that 
this demonstrates the difference between something that is deliberately made as an animated film and the the retrofitted animated films that it's trying to to make up for the uh, the episodes that are are lost that they they weren't intended to be animated films they're not performed that way but these are these are really thoughtful before the mic voice acting performances and then they're realized as an animation and yeah what a difference it makes it's just terrific mm. So I'm trying to sit here and be clever and come up with a good rating. Mm. I, I'm going to Don't give forget it, mine, because I've got one. Oh, I'm sorry. Go for it then. Oh, well, mine is, of course, out of five, four. Thousand holes in Blackburn like a shoe. <laughs> you could resist. No. <laughs> you could resist. <laughs> oh, boy. I don't even want to say mine now. I just I missed it, but I don't want to go back. We're just going to go in one. No, no, I want to know because now I'm curious, and I'm not going to leave this in some type of of, of wibbly wobbly dark uh, mm. corner of the universe that we never hear from. So, right. what was your item? I was going to say worms, but you know yeah. the holes. I can't. You got to stick with the holes, man. You can't. You can't fight that. That's, that's just um, not. Match made in heaven. <laughs> not going to say anything. <laughs> not going to say anything. Absolutely um, not. <laughs> no, so, nobody's cool. got to, wants to use a TARDIS-shaped telephones. Or, <laughs> no. No. So I'm going to give this 4.09, mm. because if I gave it a 4.9, it would be Christopher Eccleston. So I'm going to give it a 4.09 <laughs> of Robot Master's saying something nice yeah out of five Ooh, that's nice <laughs> that's nice <sighs> so yeah. so gentlemen this was fun this was interesting i honestly thought that we would be out in 40 45 minutes but we are actually surpassing before edits we are surpassing our time for the angels take manhattan believe it or not wow yeah so that said where else, gentlemen, might you be found on the internet or what are you watching or reading? Lee Shackelford, I'll start with you. I am going to uh, go back to the old habit of uh, uh, encouraging people to check out relativitypodcast.com. I uh, just sort of looked at our download numbers recently and discovered that um, people seem to be discovering this old uh, audio drama of ours. I call it old now <laughs> since we wrapped it up last year. Um, and um, yeah, people are, are kind of flocking there to, to get the uh, the saga uh, starring Clarence Oh, it's Brown. a saga now. It's wow. a saga, yes. Wow. but um, so majestic. <laughs> it is. I, I love saying that. Um, but um, yeah, it be, and I think it is because they are the word is getting out that it's concluded. And so, if you want to binge a story from the beginning to the end, then uh, this is one of the things to do. Is um, relativity? We find on relativitypodcast.com. And I'll tell you that um, if you want to get that, if you want to get that for free, then you can go do that. You can also pay for it. And let me say, let me explain that. No? A, there is a service called Dramafy. And I know the people who have put this together and the, I really admire what, they, what they're doing here. They want to create a subscription service that is just for quality audio fiction. And bless them, they have invited us, Relativity, to be a part of their catalog. So 
Uh, check them out at dramafy.com. That is drama, D-R-A-M-A-F-Y dot C-O-M. And see see what they're offering. Um, their motto is battle the boring. Oh. <laughs> also, reignite your imagination. They've got a lot of slogans, actually. <laughs> but yeah, it is your, your one-stop shop for specifically for audio drama. And uh, I think that's a very interesting idea. We'll see if it works. Yeah, I said, go to the page. The first podcast on the original audio dramas is Relativity Podcast. There you go. Relativity. Relativity. Yeah, you have to say it like a, like Einstein, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome Relativity. sauce. All right, Clarence Brown, what say ye? Yeah, so uh, if you love hearing Kyle and myself and the uh, merry cast of others talk, you should definitely... Uh, check out the Discussing Trek podcast where we talk about Star Trek and, you know, other related sci-fi sometimes, but mostly Star Trek. You can check that out by going to DiscussingTrek.com. And if you want to subscribe, just DiscussingTrek.com slash subscribe and you can pick an outlet. Yeah. Awesome. So I will leave everyone, especially since I got a great shout out on Facebook from my two favorite assassins <laughs> on and you know since they are off assassinating people I will say if you like assassins <laughs> and you like uh, assassinating people which we know everybody oh, yeah. does so yeah you know assassins assassins and if you are a member of the League of Assassins and you know know the handshake and all that good stuff I would suggest that you go and check out because probably by this time this episode goes out, the finale for Series 3 of Oz 9 will be out, starring, of course, as Pluto, Lee Shadowford, yes. and our friend Shannon Perry, and a host and myriad of other people and great voice actors and great actors all. So Oz 9 podcast, look it up, tell them, discussing who sent you, otherwise you shall be assessed. <laughs> oh, goodness. There you go. So, the guys, this was so much fun. Loved spending my birthday hours as my birthday begins to come to a close. Loved, as always, spending time with the two of you and for everyone listening. Spending part of my birthday talking to you guys. <laughs> so thank you for being here, for you two guys, for everyone listening. You are appreciated. And as always, we will be back next time. You've been listening to The Discussing Network. Find out more at DiscussingNetwork.com.